thank you everyone for attending. This is a bit later. We've tried to do these Fridays at noon, but apparently tomorrow's good Friday. So the team said do it at three o'clock today. So really glad everyone could make it. Um, this is the third uh, founders and funding. The goal of this weekly session is to, to learn from founders and their funders on how the deal came together, what it is, looks like to work with investors and discuss current events and strategies and how it impacts the companies that we're talking to. Um, so as you get ready for us to start and get into the actual details, um, why don't you grab a second device, snap a picture of the setup, make it look like a selfie, and then open a new browser tab and share via LinkedIn or Twitter with the hashtag TechTO. Uh, we, we want more people to know about this. We want to get more of the community. We want to support it out there. We find that the best way people learn about us is from social media or word of mouth. But since many people aren't meeting each other right now, we, we're relying on social media. So we really like that that selfie with the hashtag TechTO. Um, you know, one other thing you can do is if you look up there to the right, there's a, there's a place that says polls. We like to learn about where you're coming from and how you view the event. So you can just go out there and fill it out. And I actually will change the conversation based upon some of those. So right now, like, okay, where you, how you hear about us, that, that won't change the conversation. But if I know you're looking for funding or you're about to raise or you recently raised, yeah. we'll change a few of the questions. Um, Cool. We're, it looks like we're up to about 30 people, so I will start in two seconds. Maybe while we wait to start, um, we have two great guests, one from Toronto, one from Montreal. Uh, I'll get Wilford. Can you just basically give us a bit of your background? Yeah. So um, born and raised in Montreal. Um, basically, I have a background in finance and economics. Um, was in a previous life a commodities trader and uh, basically got into tech by working for a few pretty well-known startups like Breather and Dialog and uh, recently started, uh, well, not so recently, it's been now two years at least that I've been doing SiloFit. Um, and basically SiloFit converts small offices into micro gyms that you can rent by the hour using our app. It's really geared towards fitness professionals that are looking for a home uh, where they can bring their clients without any contracts and essentially earn a lot more money because our spaces are about 40% cheaper compared to what gyms and clinics typically charge for that space. Um, so you could think of us a little bit like the breather for gyms. Excellent. I'm sure Julian likes it every time someone refers to <laughs> breather. Uh, Shane, maybe give a bit of your background and talk a bit about what your firm invested in and its, its thesis. Yeah, for sure. So uh, my name is Shane Diamond. I'm a partner at White Cap Venture Partners. Prior to getting into the venture world, I was a corporate and M&A lawyer at a firm uh, called Will DeBoer Delise in downtown Toronto. Joined White Cap about five and a half years ago now. Uh, we are a Series A fund focused on uh, three main verticals being ICT, uh, food and food technology, and then medical technology and medical devices. Uh, we raised our third fund in January of 2015, and last summer closed our fourth fund, $125 million fund, again, focused on Series A deals. Uh, plan is to do 10 deals per fund, uh, ranging you know, 10 to $15 million per deal. Okay, Shane, that's really insightful. And I'll make this conversation a bit more interesting because I, I don't think uh, Salafit has raised the Series A. So, Wilfred, let's go back to you. Tell, me, tell us a bit about how do you even come up with the idea for SiloFit? So, I mean, um, basically, I, I was looking for a place to work out, um, you know, something, something without any membership, no contract. 
Um, and at the time where I was living, you know, every single gym around me was super expensive. So I thought, you know, like I'm, I'm a little bit more recluse and I, I like to have my own private space. So I thought it'd be really neat if you had your own little 500 square foot space that you can rent by the hour anytime you wanted. Um, so essentially I started to toy with that idea and started to talk to personal trainers, massage therapists, gym owners, et cetera. And I realized that there was something really missing in the market and something that offers both flexibility and an experience. So as we kind of went down the rabbit hole, uh, not only did we realize that there was users looking for a private space where they can work out on demand, but also personal trainers needed space and kinesiologists, massage therapists needed space to bring their clients. And we also started to understand that there's this huge issue in the industry where gyms and clinics take about a 70% cut typically of a professional's profits because they're offering them space and also foot traffic. So we said, well, what if we, I guess, um, take that model apart and put the personal training industry in its own little private sector? So essentially what we're doing now is we're finding these small underutilized spaces that are significantly below market. And then we pass on those savings from our real estate side uh, to the trainer, which allows them to save about 40%. So they're, they're basically making more money and then passing on those savings to their customers. You can almost think of it like Uber, where Uber got rid of the medallion system. So suddenly, you know, drivers are now making more money and charging their clients less. So it's very similar in that regard. Got to unpack a couple pieces there. So you said we, who's we? Uh, so now we're actually a team of 16. Um, so we're all in Montreal, located in Montreal. Uh, we have a team of interior designers, of course, because we actually lease each space for five to seven years. Uh, we put in the investment in the space where we actually uh, buy the equipment, we make it look beautiful. Uh, we put a pin code on the door so you can unlock the door using your phone and a, a unique code. So it's really you in a private space. There's no on-site staff in these spaces, um, but uh, but essentially they're all remotely run. And that's why we that's why we're able to pass on these savings because it's so lean. Uh, so we have an ops team, interior design team, marketing, sales, operations, et cetera. Cool. So take me back to the initial start. So you, you have this idea. Why do you decide to go for it? And what's the first step you do? Like, do you go rent a place? Like, how do you actually take it from concept to reality? Yeah, um, it's funny. Like, uh, I'm, I'm always, I always like to move very quickly. Um, and sometimes I, I like to put myself in a little bit sticky scenarios just to get myself out of it. Uh, I did actually rent a place. And then uh, once I was in it, I kind of realized I need to get a bunch of equipment and I realized I need to build a team. So my, the first thing I did was I went on LinkedIn. I looked for an, Andro uh, an iOS developer and uh, I found one of my co-founders today. Uh, and and he, uh, he, I found him on LinkedIn and I invited him to lunch and said, hey, I'm, I'm looking to launch this idea. Basically fell in love with the idea. We started working together. We brought on um, a product designer and he started work with us. And then basically we started to meet every Wednesday at night at Starbucks for about six months uh, while we all had jobs. And then basically we essentially quit our jobs. I moved on my mom's couch. Um, they went on unemployment and we all just started working together. And we looked for angel investors at the time. And it's really hard because obviously when you don't have a product to show, um, you really need to sell your vision. Uh, so that's really what we focused on. And we all really believed in this because we saw something that others didn't. We saw that the market wanted this. Um, so we got, we raised about 150,000, enough to basically scrape by, build our first space. 
And coincidentally, uh, one of our angel investors was sitting down at a demo event next to Shane. And Shane, obviously being in real estate as well, kind of just started talking to him. And then so, he mentioned silo fit. So that was kind of so interesting. Which yeah. give, let's give some credit to the word credits do right now. Um, which which demo day, day demo day was it? Do you remember? Shane? Uh, I, I don't. Shane, do you, do you remember? It, yeah, it was Founder Fuel in Montreal. So, so Founder Fuel. So, you, so you're up there in Founder Fuel. Another investor, I guess an angel investor, says, hey, um, there's this interesting start. What, what do they say to you? What, what piqued your interest? You, you, you told us you don't like doing stuff before A rounds, and this is like as early as possible. This is like, this is like a friend and family round. Yeah. So... so... <laughs> Yeah, so, so you did touch on something important. Um, we are predominantly an A fund. We do have a small allocation for seed deals. Sat down at the event, Founder Fuel, started speaking with you know Wilfred's angel investor, and uh, he proposed this concept that you could merge or, or marry uh, a physical real estate footprint with an economic uh, uh, incentive to every party involved that they each came out on, on the winning side. So you have SiloFit, you have the professional, the service provider, we call them, whether it be the trainer, the masseuse, the Pilates instructor, and then you have the everyday consumer. And the beautiful thing here is we're leveraging uh, B-class office buildings, uh, 500 to 1,000 square feet, where, uh, you know, limited windows, uh, where it's not really palatable for, uh, you know, a, a five to 10 person office, but it's a perfect location for a small gym. So landlords are, are more than happy to give it up. Uh, so they win in it, it's, it's unrented. You know, in Toronto, I think the, the vacancy rate is like sub 2% right for now, now in, in commercial and office. And we are having no trouble finding these small footprint, mm -hmm. yeah, for now. And we're having no trouble finding these small footprint uh, facilities. So you, you marry the three of those together. Uh, at the time, Wilfred had just launched his first location in Montreal. The economics on each location were incredibly compelling. Uh, one thing led to the, to the next, and we did the what I would call the seed round, which was a million-dollar round, brought in uh, a partner out of New York, Courtside Venture Partners. Uh, they, they specialize in sports and entertainment and uh, actually brought in a professional football player and Dominican Sue. That was the entirety of, of the angel round, and we haven't announced it yet, but there's more news to follow. So, so there's a lot, lot here to unpack, and... First of all, I gotta do a call out because I see Isaac's on the chat. <laughs> Isaac, how do you like it? Someone comes to Founder Fuel to look at Founder Fuel companies and invest in another Montreal company. So he can comment. He can put some comments in chat. <laughs> uh, we love you, Isaac, for doing Founder Fuel. Um, so like, so this so the initial round ended up being a million dollars. And how did you, Shane? How did you feel comfortable enough to invest? So you know, so much earlier. Did you like? Did, how did you get the economics? Because this is still you, Wilfred. Have you even launched the first location yet? Yeah. So we we actually have uh, three operating locations in Montreal. Two more uh, currently on their way. But at and this time, have, sorry, yeah. when when Shane made investment, was there was there one location? Oh, I, I, so, so so something that yeah, I, I did want to mention. I think one thing that was really special about. Um, my relationship with Shane was that from the get-go, I really felt like he was behind me. And that's just because I feel like he believed in it from day one. Uh, I think it's partially because he had a personal trainer who was getting ripped off, so he knew what was going on. 
Um, but I'd have to say that from the get-go, he was there and we had discussions for at least six months uh, before we putting ink on paper, but it wasn't because uh, there was not enough interest. It was just because I think it was just a matter of timing um, and, and we weren't ready to get that investment. But when we were, uh, we started to move those discussions pretty quickly. Okay. Um, Sorry, one minute. Daniel, we're talking right now. Someone give that kid a Tech Toronto t-shirt. <laughs> uh, you said that. You said the magic words. You ran away. Um, so, so you said. So, there was, hold on. I, you, I apologize yeah. about that. Um, so, there were yeah. six months conversations before there yeah. was pen on paper. So, in that six months, how did that relationship develop? Well, you know what? Like uh, Shane was, uh, uh, from what I recall, Shane was fairly interested before we even launched our first space. But I think we both knew that this was missing in the market. And since we just raised not long ago, it didn't make sense to, to take on more investment. But as the first space started to evolve, I just remember like our first week launching, he's like, how were the bookings this week? And I said, well, we had our first five bookings, so five hours booked. And then the next week, the same thing, same question. And this time it doubled. And every week it kept increasing. And essentially our business just took off through word of mouth. Uh, we've done zero advertising. Wow. Um, it's all been inbound and basically he just kept being along there along the way, just helping us, supporting us, providing feedback. So something that, you know, as a founder, you really appreciate cause you feel like you have like the wind behind your back. So it sounds like there was like a small friends and family round, which Shane missed and then came in for a million dollar seed round. Is that right? Okay. Correct. Correct. And, and I'll say the one, you know, the one thing that was most compelling in, in tracking this was the number of service providers per location never really grew exponentially. I mean, I think started with roughly 12 to 15 in the first location. What ended up happening was the provide the service providers started booking more and more hours per week and migrating their entire businesses over to SiloFit. And at that point, I think it was probably week three or week four when we saw that, you know, one person was booking, went from booking one hour in the first week to four in the second week to, you know, up to 10 to 15 in the, in the third and fourth weeks that, that flywheel started to kick in and say, this can be an entire operation where these service providers can run their businesses through silo fits. And then that's when it got really exciting. And, uh, you know, that's when we made the first, well, that's when we put pen to paper to make the first. Okay. Investment. So let me, so what I've heard here, you guys meet basically a founder fuel, get to know each other over the next six months. And Shane is being value add, but he's also seen the model come quickly together because mm -hmm. you're seeing, growth in locations, higher utilization rates, stickiness with the trainers. So this looks like Prague market fit, this magical thing. Um, then when you went to go raise that next round, that million dollar round, how do you, was this, was this basically already predetermined that the amount and that chain would be involved or, or what, ha you know, how did that $1 million round and why, why that number? Well, basically um, what we proved in, in the friends and family round was that, you know, with our first space that people were interested and obviously there was that stickiness and product market fit. Now the next leg of it of, of, of proof, I'd say would be uh, demonstrating that there's this network effect. Um, so we need to build more spaces. Uh, we need to show that not only could we do this with one location where we're a gym, we're more than a gym, we're, we're a technology company and we can create this network effect and trainers are going to go from space to space, bringing their clients. So really the, the million dollars was to prove that model out here in, here in Montreal and also potentially expand to Toronto. 
um, and then also start developing the tools to support these service providers. What our business at the beginning, our business was say 80% users, you know, the rest was service providers. Nowadays, I'd say 90% of our business is service providers and the rest is users. Sorry, so explain, explain what that means. What's a, a service provider is the trainer? Yeah, the trainer, exactly. Yeah. So they're, they're the bringing product. their own clients. And they're bringing their own clients, exactly. Versus at the beginning, you were bringing the clients to them? Well, versus at the beginning, it was just a user, like a person that worked in the building that wanted to work out on okay. demand. So okay. a regular go. Yeah. So so now our business really flipped where it's more... And, and, and Wilfred, maybe, maybe you want to walk... Mm-hmm. Sorry, maybe you want to walk through sort of how the economics work. I mean, the at a, at a big box gym, we call it, you know, the everyday user, like myself, when I was training at the gym, you know, you're paying 100 to $120 for an hour of, of private personal training, not really private or personal, you know, it's not private, there's 50, 60, 70 people in the gym. Um, and the trainer is certainly not getting that 100 to $120. They're making a very, very small fraction of that. And so as the trainers started to realize that they could host their own personal training sessions at the silos for $25 to $30 an hour, they can now charge 80 to 90. The consumer saves roughly 30 to 40 and the trainer, he or she is still pocketing another $30 extra an hour on top of what they would otherwise make. Exactly. So what I mean, like, so you get this million dollar round together. Um, now you formalize your relationship together. What was the goal of that million dollar round? Because it sounds like there's new, more news since then. So I guess this was what, eight months, 12 months ago, this million dollar round? Roughly? Yeah, about eight months, I'd say, yeah. So yeah. A, well, you know, it sounded like you wanted to prove that you had a network effect. Yeah. How did the relationship between the two of you change? What new challenges, what challenges, new challenges were with the business? What, what changed after that million dollar round? I think once we saw the transition from user to professional, uh, we really began to support that thesis that this business was actually meant for professionals. So ultimately, our vision started to morph into how do we develop uh, a company that effectively creates products and services that empowers these service providers to become entrepreneurs. So everything from having a space where they can bring their clients and then the ancillary services to support their business uh, from displaying their profile through the app, advertisement, um, you know, uh, transacting payments through the app as well, all that stuff where they can run their business on their phone and through our spaces. And essentially we're creating these different revenue streams through commissions and subscriptions as well. And that's really when the business became much bigger and our vision became much grander because we suddenly realized it's not just about being a, a, a physical product. It's more than that. It's creating these revenues through these digital streams as well. And so you started realizing that sounds like you've may or may not have done another round recently. Um, how, you know, how, what you start off in Montreal, you now have a presence in Toronto, you're about to build a presence in Toronto. How did you go determine not to go bigger and, and, wider in Montreal and why did you decide to expand outside of Montreal? Um, yeah. So, I mean, definitely having invest, like we're, we're obviously working with Courtside as well in New York. Um, but I think, I think Shane uh, was a great guide in this because um, he's obviously done this with various companies. Uh, so for us, I think it just made sense from a regulatory perspective. Um, our business is extremely complex. 
Um, you know, not only are you doing physical products and you're doing these long-term leases, this brick and mortar business, but you're also looking at, for example, um, how are we different from typical gyms? We're also using spaces that typically aren't meant for gyms. Like B-class office spaces is really what I'd say are bread and butter, but there's some landlords that don't like that. And there's some, some that do. Um, so we really had to, we felt vet every single potential issue before we went into what is the largest fitness market in the world, which is the U S. So in order to do that, we're better, uh, than at our home base, which is uh, Montreal and Toronto and having the guidance of our investors in both markets, um, was obviously the best way to start testing all those potential issues. And, and Shane, what was your thought? Was Toronto the right step? Well, how'd you decide Toronto was the right step versus New York and what influence did you have on it? Uh, yes, for sure. So, you know, Montreal, we're still growing. Um, we're actively sourcing leases, obviously, you know, the current situation uh, makes it a little bit tough, but we are still actively sourcing leases and growing in Montreal. The goal is to have 10 locations in Montreal by the end of the year. Uh, with respect to Toronto, so, you know, a big focus of Whitecaps is in real estate, real estate technology. Uh, and so we knew we had a lot of relationships in the city with landlords. And so in our diligence, the easiest way to diligence is to call up four or five of the largest landlords, property owners in, in Toronto and diligence with them. And of the five, four of them asked when they could, in our diligence, four of them asked when they could go live with the first site. And so to me, that was the first, you know, no brainer check mark that, uh, but let's move this, let's move this quickly. Um, as Wilfred mentioned, we have two ready to be launched in, in, uh, in Toronto. The other thing is Toronto is, is uh, it, it's our backyard. It's familiar, it's, it's friendly. We have uh, a massive network uh, on the real estate side, but we also have a really large network on the uh, trainer and uh, service provider side. And so we knew that much like in Montreal with limited marketing dollars, we'd be able to grow the network really, really quickly here. Our goal in this company, and you know, Wilfred tells the story a lot better than I do, but the goal in this company is, is to really enable these service providers to run their own businesses all through the SiloFit app enabled by you know, the, the real estate footprint that we've leased. And in the long term, have the largest marketplace of service professionals in fitness and consumers in fitness in, cool. in North America. Um, I'm going to ask one more question about the business and talk about the current situation. Also, for people participating, I'll start weaving in some of the questions. If you can start the questions with your chat with a question, I'll see it and get to it. See a few good ones already. Even when, even Jason had a good one, which is very odd. Um, going back, Shane, to you, you like you, predom you, you predominantly invest in A rounds, <laughs> right? Um, I guess so far it's been, like, I guess, a pre seed and seed. Yeah. So is this like, how do you, you know, if everything goes well, imagine you'll want to lead the A or participate in the A. How do you, how do you do that in a way where there's no negative signaling effects if you decide not to do the A or B, make sure that Wilford gets taken care of because, you know, you're not preempting and not letting him get a fair market value. Yeah, of course. Uh, and that's always, you know, one of the risks of a venture fund that plays in, in, in multiple different rounds of financing. Um, you know, I'd say to that, uh, one of our goals always is, is in finding seed deals. And we've done four seed deals in Whitecap 4 to date is the goalposts are very, very uh, tight. They're very close together. And so it has to be a deal that we'd see ourselves if 
the numbers and the metrics and uh, you know the KPIs are hit, that we would uh, lead the A. That said, in the seed deals, we also don't take a board seat. And so we don't uh, force the hand of any company in, in making a decision. Uh, in this case, um, it's sort of tough because we haven't said anything yet, but there was another value add partner that we brought to the table uh, that was beneficial to not just this syndicate, but very, very beneficial to Wilfred and the company. Um, and that is, you know, part of, again, the value add here is we want to work with the company. We've, you know, I'd say I partnered with Wilfred before we even wrote our yeah. first check into the company, worked with him for a number of months, as he said. And so that's the goal going forward. I mean, you know, you want to hope every company hits their KPIs and their OKRs uh, round over round to your valuation uh, question. It, it was a, between us, it was, you know, when Wilfred and I sat down to talk about it, we had a very honest conversation about what worked for, for him and his C-level co-founder team, what worked for us as, you know, both seed investors and next round investors. And uh, it, it was a very short, I don't even want to call it a negotiation. It was very a very cool. short discussion. So let's, you know, assume that, that round, the round that you may or may not close gets announced soon. Um, this was done, I guess, pre, let's call it the pre-COVID life. Um, so Wilfred, what's, how are you managing the current situation? I imagine your business yeah. doesn't exist if people can't go to the actual physical location. So what's, what have you done immediately to change your business and, and get over the hump? And what, how does this change your perspective on the future? Yeah, honestly, um, I feel really positive coming out of this. Um, you know, I, I certainly feel for all the companies that are that are struggling through this, and and certainly we are we are as well because we did have to close down our gyms. Um, but I do feel positive about this because a coming out of this, a lot of people are certainly going to feel a little bit overweight given that mobility is reduced. Uh, so I think I think the gym is going to be top of mind. Um, but beyond that, I think I think people are looking for new options. Um, there's a huge shift in the market. You're already seeing in Montreal. Um, one of the large factors in our success, especially on the personal training side, is because there's been at least three major gym closures here uh, of gyms of the, the caliber and size of Equinox in Toronto um, have closed in Montreal. So you're starting to see that people want uh, a different type of gym product, either like an Orange Theory style or a personal training style. But I think when it comes to personal training, we're the only product that offers both experience and flexibility where there's fruit, apples, um, you know, lotions, soaps, uh, aroma in the space. It's beautifully designed. We put all of that in there. Um, so coming out of this, I think people are going to be looking for that. They're not going to be looking to go to back to big box gyms. Uh, we're technically considered actually a health and wellness center. So on a, from a permitting perspective, like, you know, we, we would be able to open, I think, a well a beyond uh, or before most of these gyms. Um, and also it just makes more sense. Like our, our cleanliness standards are a lot higher. Uh, we typically clean after each session. Uh, and whereas most gyms, you know, for them to clean 40 pieces of equipment while there's tons of users in the space, it's extremely hard, uh, to maintain that same standard. So I think as a, as a, as a differentiated product in the consumer's mind or the trainer's mind, um, we're going to be very well positioned coming out of this. And then secondly, the other leg of our business is really the real estate. So our typical target is B-class commercial buildings. And I think that now that suddenly people learn how to work from home, there's going to be a lot more empty office space. And I think landlords are suddenly going to be looking for value-added amenities to attract their tenants. 
So overall, I think from a cost perspective, we're going to be better. From a perception perspective, we're going to be better as well. Um, so I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about the future so far. Cool. I want to get to Shane with a question, but I see, I'll just riffing off your answer here. I see a question from Jason. Um, a, what, you know, it's a two-step two question, which kind of cheats Jason, but um, one is, what is the performance looking like in April? And then, you know, and I'll, I'm going to change this question, but like, what's, you know, what's a threat or opportunity from virtual training? Because like, it seems like every trainer is now doing Instagram classes or putting videos on YouTube. So, so that, that's, a, that's actually a great point. Um, yeah, I, I, I did want to mention that. So something that we are doing right now in this quiet time is really investing on the tech side. Um, so A, we are going to start offering uh, virtual training to all the trainers in our network for them to really bring their business online. And I think that long as they're in our ecosystem, I, I think only a fraction of those trainers are going to be continuing to do that business online, given that it is a very relationship-based physical physical interaction. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I, I think that that's really where the opportunity lies. And also just focusing, getting our, our tech team to focus on building more of these uh, products and services for the trainer during this downtime is a huge opportunity for us. I think there's less distraction. They can start building profiles for trainers, advertising uh, opportunity in the app for the trainers and so on. So our product roadmap has really accelerated in this time as well. Uh, Shane, one last question for you before I get to the audience questions. Overall, as you look at your portfolio, I'm going to now do two part question. A, what advice have you given them? And B, have you changed your thesis about what you're going to invest in, in the next three to six months? Uh, yeah, what so are yeah. you saying? What have we told our overall portfolio? Oh, sorry. What, what have you, like, how have you approached to your portfolio as a whole? Like, how are you helping your, your companies? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're in a really time of uncertainty and the message to our portfolio companies is just, um, you know, I don't want to say full cash preservation, but until we know when uh, post COVID era begins, it's going to be hard to get back to, you know, what we'd call a new normal in terms of sales expectations. And we're, we're not running around with a machete and cutting the entire team if we don't have to, but we also recognize the fact that this could go on for three, four, five, six months, and it has a different impact on every company in our portfolio. I mean, you know, Wilfred gave the example. I completely agree that on the backside of this, I think private gyms are going to be in mat in massive demand because people aren't going to want to be going to gyms where there's two or three hundred people at any one time working out beside them. And so I think that there, there's huge opportunity there, but I can't give an answer as to when the doors will be open. You know, we, we don't know when that's going to happen. We don't know when we're going to be able to source new leases. Um, so until we have a little bit of better view and clarity into that, you know, it's it's more cash preservation um, go, going forward. And as I said, each company is a little bit different, but it's, uh, you know, okay. prepare and, and for, that's the your current and hope for the best. And you just closed the new fund. Are you writing checks and how can you write checks given the current situation? Uh, we are still definitely still writing checks. I had two uh, full team meetings with potential investment companies today. Uh, it's just adopting, just like any of our companies are, it's adopting to the new normal and replacing an investment committee meeting in person with a Zoom 
investment committee meeting. You know, it's it's tough because it's such a personal relationship. Um, but we're you know full steam ahead, and it's it's not the exact same as it was prior. But we have uh, a lot of dry powder to deploy, and we're actively looking for companies to deploy it. In. Uh, you know, the the course of business has changed a little bit. Uh, but it's, you know, as, as we can tell from this, same as you, you know, move, move tech Toronto from in-person to online, you, you adapt and, and you succeed. It's really what I find that it's doing is actually opening up a lot more opportunities because it's bringing everybody to the same playing field. Everyone, you know, everyone's, yeah. everyone's, up, everyone's kids jumping on meetings. Um, it doesn't matter how fancy your offices are. It's everyone's yeah. on the same level. Exactly. My, I, I had to lock the door. So my door was here. supposedly locked. Bullshit. I have to talk to my wife. Um, so let's get to some questions. There's some good questions out there. Um, Adam uh, Delgado <laughs> was asking, basically, what are your growth plans for 2020? Um, is it to go to Canada wide, moving to the United States? So ba basically, like, what would 2020 look like a success? And how do you decide when to expand to another city? Yeah. I mean, obviously, everything's being pushed out um, by at least four to six months. Um, so, so definitely our, our idea of expanding into the next, next market would really be the U S our idea of expanding to the U S has been delayed, uh, likely until 2021. Um, so right now we're looking to expand our current portfolio within Montreal and Toronto. Um, obviously there's potential other Canadian cities on the table, but really we'd like to go into the U S as our next target market. Um, once obviously the borders open up as well. Um, and then when when we decide to do that it's basically when we feel like we've made a sufficient impact in our current cities and also when we feel like the market's ripe in those new cities as well and i gotta ask a personal question do you think montrealers or torontonians are more fit and more interested in exercising <laughs> i i think they're equally interested i think in toronto um they're willing to spend a whole lot more and, and one of the reasons we chose Toronto, um, I, I wanted to mention this before, was because, you know, it's, it's quite similar to New York. Um, I don't know if Torontonians take, take offense to that, but, um, but it is quite similar. And, and especially on the real estate side, you know, it's, it's, a, it's the tightest office space market in North America. It's a 2% vacancy. So, um, you know, it's a good opportunity for us to test the idea before expanding into the U.S. and in a high price market. Uh, and then also the mentality, like you have people in Toronto who have SoulCycle memberships, Equinox memberships, and another membership all combined. Whereas in Montreal, you'll just have a single membership to one low cost gym. So it's quite different. Um, but I think on the higher end of the spectrum, when it comes to personal training, that persona is quite similar, regardless of the market. Um, so, yeah. I'm curious, just you mentioned something there about multiple memberships. Do you view something like ClassPass as a competitor or... Or is it maybe a way to work a distribution channel? Yeah, so, so ClassPass really tackles a, a different end of the spectrum. They're tackling the client side. Um, so you as a user can try different gyms or workouts like boxing or barrier bar or whatever. Um, whereas what we're doing is we're really focusing on the trainer side where we're giving the trainer the opportunity to have different locations to train their clients and offer obviously their own training. So, so I don't view them as a competitor or really a compliment. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, unless we go into the user side, per perhaps. Cool. Uh, another question from Jason, who I think is looking to start a startup himself. With everything you've learned about leveraging B-class commercial real estate, 
what other verticals yeah. do you think could take a silo fit approach? Is there another? I, I think I think what makes us really unique is um, is the fact that you know if you look at similar companies to us, like for example, Breather. I think the fact that we produce value within our spaces, I think that makes it really unique. Um, so in other words, like there is value creation between the trainer and the user in our spaces. And by, by providing extra services or products, we're able to capture some of that value, right? Um, so so I, I think that, you know, if you're just looking to build a space, I, I don't think that's enough. I think that's what really makes us, a, 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 you know, another tier, a, a second level is looking to layer on those additional services. So I can't say I know what uh, what would be the next vertical because maybe we'd expand into that. Uh, but I would say that when you're looking to build a brick and mortar business combined with technology, try to find something where you do capture value and do create value between two parties. Uh, I, I think the biggest example is, like I said, originally Uber where you know they flip the economics on their head. You know, So are you, by developing this, are you flipping the economics on its head? Yeah. I'll also ask the same question to you, Shane. Have you seen anything interesting in this, you know, using a similar approach with like, let's call it excess commercial real estate? I was going to say to Wilfred before you said, <laughs> I was going to say, don't give away all our secrets. So, you know, maybe we can, maybe we can plead the fifth on that one. But, 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 but what has been amazing in, in this journey is we're, we're really early into it. And, you know, when we did this, maybe we did or didn't close this round, but when we were out looking at this round, there were a ton of real estate owners across the states. You know, there was a group in New York, a group in Boston, there was a group out of uh, Detroit, all of whom were very interested in participating in the financing. Uh, and, and so there's a huge demand there from the property owners, which excites me. But to, your, you know, more specifically to your question, the number of channel opportunities uh, to be, to, to layer on top value add to our customers whether it be on the service provider side or the consumer side is massive. I mean, we've had inbound interest from, you know, everything from a mm -hmm. gym equipment manufacturer to a smoothie company who wants to deliver uh, fresh, allow you to pre-order smoothies or, or bowls or whatever you may be prior to, to your session for, for pickup. So there's tons and tons of services you can layer on top of it. Uh, do I know what, you know, the next industry or vertical may be that, that can leverage this commercial real estate? No, not yet. Um, but when I do it, you know, cool. Um, question from Quinn there. that's right out there. Um, how do you balance moving quickly, uh, e.g., getting revenue with understanding the complexity of the business? So you don't, I guess, yeah. So basically, how do you avoid, how do you, how do you trade off the speed without breaking the business? Mm -hmm. um, good question. Shane, do you want to tackle that one? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think understanding the unit economics of each silo is important in doing this. And so we have, you know, numbers that we know we have to hit at each location prior to launching the next. And we're, you know, I, I don't want to misquote the number, but I think each location has been close to break even in the yeah, first four, in, three and a half. At least in the first month, most, the most spaces well. break even uh, from, from a rental revenue perspective, yeah. A rental cost, yeah. Yeah, on an, on a, from, from an OPEX perspective, it's, you know, the units we're, we're building out are, are relatively cheap on a monthly basis. You know, the, the hard part of this business is obviously the upfront equipment that we, and, and uh, 
you know, sort of facility build out. And, and that's what, uh, I guess that's the reason why you do a larger financing. Um, but the economics around each unit on an OPEX perspective are, are very, very buttoned down. And very, um, very last question I see from the audience from uh, Adam again. Well, you know, what, what, this is for you, Wilfred. What was your light bulb moment? Like, again, you, you talked about seeing this opportunity. Was it just light bulb, aha, or was it over time? And how'd you get there? Um, I, I, I always like to work on projects that I feel I would use. Um, so at least I know there's one user that would use the product in the market. Um, but I think that's my first litmus test. Um, and then my real aha moment was when I started to talk to, to trainers, when I really saw how the economics were so unfavorable to them. And when I started to crunch the unit economics before launching the space, I said, there was, there's no way this won't work because it just makes sense. And I think fundamentally, when you believe that, that something actually makes sense on such a fundamental basis and you have that vision, um, you just need to go for it. Um, so yeah. And then the second part was, I think when I really believed in it was when I remember our first, after our first week of having, you know, tours and maybe one booking Sunday night, the, the, I was looking at the calendar for the next week, it was completely empty. And I was like, oh man, we just spent, uh, you know, 150,000. How's what's going to happen now? And that night, so it turns out that the actual, like most trainers actually just do their schedule Sunday night. So they'll do all their bookings Sunday night. Um, so then I saw, you know, three bookings come in, four bookings come in, and then maybe 20 bookings came in that second week. And that was kind of when I realized like, oh, we have something, you know? Um, and that, that's when I felt really positive about this. And, and every week I was a little bit scared that the next week would, would go down, but we worked really hard to keep those numbers up. And then now it's just basically all, I was on the phone all the time, just, just calling people, just telling them about the idea, pitching it. And then eventually just snowballed, and and now it's 100% inbound. That's awesome. I so Shane and Wilfred, I really appreciate your time um, and sharing your story with the community. Um, what I'd say is a bit disappointed I didn't find any setbacks. It sounds like a pretty smooth sailing of a <laughs> company, which is impressive. And it sounds like you're really meticulous in how you take it in, on execution and thought process. So um, thank you for attending. Thank you for sharing knowledge. To the audience, um, if you go up at the right side, there's a few new polls that have appeared. We'd love your answer because we want to get feedback on, you know, hey, was this actually useful? Did you enjoy the event? We, we want to con constantly improve this. And the more the more um, feedback I get, the more I can tell Shane and Wilford what the audience thought. Mm -hmm. um, if you did like the event, we're going to be we do this every Friday. Um, you can join if you're an insider, TechTO insider. It's free. If you're not insider, it's going to be it's five dollars. Um, I, what I love from the audience is to, if they did enjoy this, just go out there, put some social media with the hashtag TechTO, tell people you enjoyed it, founders and funding. Also, if there's some founder or some some VC or angel you want me to have in a future one, put the suggestions in social media because it makes it much easier for me to say, hey, I'm not making it up. I just didn't want to speak to you. There's someone that actually wanted to speak, wanted to hear from you. And I really appreciate that. Have a great Thursday evening and a great long weekend. Thanks, oh. Alex. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thanks for having us, Alex. That was great.